No Gods, No Monsters contains spoilers, profanity, and substance use. Gods No Monsters, we're the anti-capitalist kaiju and monster movie podcast in a world where no one's coming to save us. I'm Rabbit. I'm Charles. And I'm Bardo. And today we're talking about 1989's Tetsuo, the Iron Man. Charlie, simple task, what's this movie about? A man enjoys his Sunday off work by engaging his, in his hobby of metal fetishism. After already having successfully put metal in his brain, he is now putting a metal rod into his leg. It's a weird hobby, but who are you to judge? You're listening to a podcast about leftist politics and monster movies hosted by two of the dumbest people on the planet, as well as one of the smartest. Most people would say that your hobby is even weirder than putting a metal rod in, in your own leg. But one safe thing about your hobby is you won't wake up to find a leg wound infested by maggots, causing you to run out into the street and get hit by a couple who dump your body in the woods and get so turned on by dumping your body in the wor- in the woods that they decide to fuck ten feet away from you. Although, I still think that that's all preferable to listening to this podcast. The man who drove the car in this hit-and-run that I just mentioned, is thus haunted by dreams and visions and reality of metal overtaking the flesh. Some of these are weird as fuck, and some of them are just normal dreams we've all had of a beautiful woman infused with metal with a long metal dick pegging me into a state of permanent smiling. (laughs) Sure enough, while on his way home from the subway, he is attacked by a woman who seems to be used as a conduit for the deceased metal fetishist. He wins this fight and goes on to have a victory fuck with his wife. While engaging in relations, he starts transforming into more metal and eventually goes beast mode, growing a tiny metal drill dick, then losing control and attacking his wife, who owns him by stabbing him in the throat. She then realizes that she has a metal fetish and fucks herself to death on his tiny metal drill dick. Turns out that the metal fetishist that the couple killed is celebrating somewhere in Glee, possibly having pulled these strings himself. He now uses her body as a means of grasping into the world and attacking the titular Tetsuo the Iron Man one-on-one. The two engage in battle, only to end up merging into a giant metal beast that plans to take over the world with a woke metal virus and then rust it to death. It's what some critics call the uncoziest of films. No Gods No Monsters presents a regular-sized monster podcast, Tetsuo the Iron Man, because, as we all know, Rust never sleeps. Somehow that was like one of the most concise and clear descriptions of a film that we've like ever done. Oh, by far. It helps when it's a very straightforward movie. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I watched this alone the first time and was like, okay, this is crazy and overwhelming and shit, but I had no idea what the story was. 
And then I watched it again with Bracken, and I'm so glad I did because he kept pointing things out. Like, I didn't know almost any of it my first watch through. And then I got it the second walk through, or watch through, but like, I don't know why it was so hard for me to put all that together. I didn't realize that it was like the flashbacks we were having were actually from the point of view of the guy that they hit. I didn't realize that they hit him and then fucked. I didn't realize any of that my first time. I mean, that's not really revealed to like pretty late, I guess, in the movie. But I had no idea I know, after that. But you keep seeing these kind of this video of them fucking and then yeah, it kind of reveals. And it's a cool reveal. Yeah. Yeah, you're like, oh shit, I thought this was like supposed to be his memory, but it's actually from the point of view of someone. Yeah. Like, holy shit. It's especially cool because like at that point you're getting more plot than you thought you would be getting. Yes. And like it really starts to explain things way more than you thought you would, even though it's still a very abstract explanation. Before we get started, I want to say, so I watched this movie three times. I have the set put out by Arrow, Solid Metal Nightmares, the films of Tsukamoto, Tsukamoto which uh, has like 10 of his movies. And I watched this three times, once with the commentary by Tom Mess. I also watched the sequel once. Um, I watched his movie, Bullet Ballet. I watched uh, The Adventure of Denchu Kozo twice, once with commentary by Tom Mess. All in preparation for this episode? Yeah. Wow. Uh, I watched the... There's a couple of interviews on the disc with uh, Tsukamoto about the, the his about these three films, um, Denchu Kozo and the first two Tetsuos. And then there's like a video essay that I watched. So, yeah. So all that's kind of going into my brain, my preparation for, for this. Uh, what did you guys do to prepare? I watched this once <laughs> and I felt very uncomfy and and i thought like not the most uncomfy i've ever felt watching a film or anything i didn't like walk away feeling like i went through something traumatic but i thought like oh, okay yeah i i was affected by this and i don't really want to watch it a second time before we get going so neither of you had seen this before then no i watched it once before i asked if y'all wanted to watch it but like only a couple days before or whatever, yes, the day before. Um, I'd never seen it. I've he I'd heard people talk about it for quite a while, and I knew, like, people who are into artsy film thought it was really good. But yeah, in preparation for this, I watched it twice. I watched, like, two seasons of The Walking Dead. <laughs> uh, I went to work. Uh, ate meals, you know. <laughs> yeah, I plan to watch more, but I got kind of, um... I was sick for, like, five days last week in, uh... <laughs> I watched Bullet Ballet while I had a fever. I really did not like it. And I'm pretty sure it's because I had a fever, not because of the movie itself. And I was just like, I cannot watch this guy's movies while I have a fever. No, so sounds awful, I couldn't really dude. get started on um, preparation for this episode until like Sunday. Oof. This is Tuesday night right now. So yeah, I kind of had to cram this stuff in the past three days. You've watched all of that in the past three days? Um, Yes. That's wild, man. Admirable shit. On um, a couple of the rewatches, I did it at 1.5 times, okay. uh, or a couple of the special features, and one of the rewatches, I watched it mostly at 1.5 speed, so that kind of helps. That was probably pretty cool. Yeah. I just love that you were giving, like, your reasons that you didn't watch more, like your excuses. <laughs> well, I wanted to watch the commentary for the second Tetsuo, and I wanted to rewatch uh, Snake in June, which is the first movie I ever saw by him. Have either of you never seen anything by Tsukamoto? No. Correct. Yeah. Okay. This is, this is it. So when I first started collecting 
uh, physical movies, like my late teens, early 20s, there was a label called uh, Tartan Asian Extreme that put out like crazy Asian horror movies and horror related stuff. And I'd always buy their DVDs when I saw them cheap. And so I got a couple of his movies back then. And then I also got, I always saw people on forums of weird movies talking about this movie. So I also, so those three movies I saw a long time ago and I became a fan of his ever since. Yeah. I mean, this one has been sitting like on my letterbox queue for many, many months, years probably. And I'm so I'm glad that I'm very glad that I that Rabbit brought this to our attention and said we should do this. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I love. I'm glad I brought this to Charlie's attention. <laughs> I love Shikamaru. Uh, I've, I've seen tons of his, most of his movies, and um, yeah, I'm a big fan of his. So well, I was, for it's kind of for cool. our listeners who maybe watched this for the first time. Which which would you recommend to watch next? I think. Bullet Ballet, even though it was made, I think, in like 98, which this was made in 87, I think, I feel like stylistically it still really fits. Um, it doesn't have special effects uh, like this, but it's black and white, which most of his movies are not. And the editing kind of feels uh, similar. The, the soundtrack is kind of more industrial and it'll just like go to like a montage of like of weird abstract black and white shots uh, in a kind of pounding industrial. Um, and I don't know, it kind of gave me the same vibe as this, which I don't know if most people would agree. Uh, and also the sequel, the the first, I have not seen the third sequel, but the second sequel I think is, it goes in a very different vein where it's more of a fleshed out story and less of an in your face horror movie, but it's kind of a, it's a pretty cool story and it explores the themes in similar ways, I guess. Cool. I mean, it's weird that you call this a horror when it's a romance, but <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, he himself, in one of his interviews, he called this uh, a horror movie, while um, the sequel he called like a science fiction action movie or something. Interesting. And the movie he did right before this, The Adventures of Denshu Kozo, uh, it's only 45 minutes long, but it's it's more of the special effects, stop motion animation, which he does not do for most of his career um that's not something that you would think watching this that's what he'd be known for but it isn't i mean for as the little bit i know about the production of this film is that he didn't have any money and so it sounds like an incredibly tedious process to like do all that so he had been uh he's been an ad man and he really wanted to do like uh, acting work and theater type of work so he started a theater group called the kaiju theater um, and they put on plays and Denchu Kozo was a play that they put on multiple times. It's about a, a boy with an electrical rod that uh, grows out of his back and he goes into the future and fights um, vampires. And that was a play they kept doing. He decided to make a movie out of that. And then he decided he wanted to make movies. So he quit his job and his dad, who was also an ad, ad man, got mad at him and kicked him out of the house. So at this point he was like, poor living in a one bedroom one room apartment um and making these movies with his friends i love that it was called kaiju theater regular size monster series like i was not expecting that that's actually an ultra q ultra q was one of his favorite shows and he liked how now i've never seen ultra q but he liked how it would bring like monsters and the supernatural and aliens into like regular kind of suburban setting i guess so he kind of saw regular monsters sitting on like a suburban home or something, is, and he just 
thought they may have taken cool. like regular size monsters or something like that. Well, speaking of like uh, you're talking about the other one being 45 minutes. I like this movie was awesome. Visually, it's amazing. Super awesome lighting, awesome music. Like it was crazy, but it was also the perfect length. Yep. I didn't need any more of that overstimulation. Yeah, uh, it was so tight, so good. There's a cut that's 10 minutes longer that's out there. It was his. Uh, it was this was his final cut, but the that has been released to cut with 10 more minutes. Um, I've I never s- seen it. I saw that roll like when I was roaming around trying to find a, a freebie of this on on one of those those websites that give you viruses that um and I I saw that it had it and it just looked like shit like it was just a really bad mm. the commentary mentions two scenes from it one that woman that chases him from the subway she does like a tap dance at one point when he chased when she chased him back to the garage, but he thought that was too absurd, so he wanted to cut it, which yeah, that's, is very that's funny. That's a good call. Yeah, it would have been bad if <laughs> yeah. there was some absurd yeah. stuff in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> and then I guess at the end, um, when it's the two fighting, I guess, and they start becoming one, I guess there's some more homoerotic uh, suggestion of them, of the metal fish just outright saying that he's attracted to him. Or something like that to Tetsuo. Interesting. Mm. Well, with with a movie like this, I feel like there's a story, and it's kind of like you said, it's really cool how it kind of suddenly you like get it. Like mm-hmm. it, these things that almost feel like they're just visual or like weird and random lock into place when you finally realize that like they did the hit and run and they like hid the body and fucked and that this is him kind of getting revenge and that a lot of their lines were them feeling guilt, blah, blah, blah. But there's also just tons of this that is just like visually and viscerally like striking so i feel like it's the kind of movie where i'm interested to talk about like what it is and what we think it is happening in it but also just like what it makes us feel or what we felt like it was Mm -hmm. you know because it definitely has a lot that can be open to interpretation yeah yes one of the things i really like about doing this is i go in and i sort of I go in and sit down to talk to y'all and I sort of have like this baseline understanding of like what this movie was to me, but I get to figure out what the movie we're talking about is actually about over the course of our conversation. Like I'm learning as we go on and I'm uh, really excited to do that in this one. Cause I have like, I have like all these little, there's all these little threads in this film that I'm like, okay, this is a thing. This like feels very much like a thing, but like, what does that thing mean? Like from the very, like the, from the very first shot, there's stuff where I'm like, what the fuck does this mean? And (laughs) totally, I don't have like any answers. I'm ready to sit my ass down and listen. (laughs) (laughs) Sit my non-machine ass down and listen. Well, let me throw one out that is there that I don't know what it means exactly, but, maybe connected to stuff is uh early on when okay actually first can we get the names that we're going to call the people by down so we're all understanding each other um like in my mind i kept being like which one of them is tetsuo only to find out later nobody is tetsuo tetsuo means iron man and it's like maybe the main guy is becoming tetsuo maybe the other guy is but yeah that's something i used to kind of debate like both of them could technically be Tetsuo the yeah. Iron Man, but I feel like it's supposed to be the main guy that we follow for the most of the time, um, especially because in the second one, it really seems to be 
that to be more of the case than this one. Okay. And that's the same. The second one, by the way, has the same two main actors, and then the woman who chases him on the subway is his wife in the second one. Oh, weird. Um, yeah. And then Sukamoto, if you don't realize, is the metal fetishist in this. Yeah. The, the director. To just make sure we're getting on this page. Like, so that's that's one character. That's the fetishist. I, yes. I'm, is like let's call his enemy. him that. The fetishist. Yes. Yeah, the fetishist. The other guy, I believe the credits call him the salary man. Yep. That's what I call him in my notes. Um, okay. We'd rather do that than Tetsuo. Let's call him that. Okay. Is that cool? Yep. Mm-hmm. And then we have the girlfriend and like the woman... Whatever, the other people I will figure out as we talk, but those were the mm-hmm. two I wanted because like in my notes I kept being like, the guy won and the guy two and yeah. yeah, cool. So in the beginning, the fetishist is in a room and on the walls are like cutouts of runners, like professional runners. And basketball mm-hmm. players. Basketball players uh, too? I didn't I see didn't that. I didn't okay. basketball players. I thought I saw a basketball player too, but all, possibly. I think all black athletes though. Yeah. Oh, and the commentary, he brings it up that they're all black, and he doesn't really comment on it. He brings up how this is kind of like one of the main influences on cyberpunk. Yeah. And in the commentary, he brings up, like, one of the main criticisms of cyberpunk is that there doesn't seem to be any black people in that in that futuristic world. It seems to only be uh, white and Asian people. And he's like, I don't really feel like it's my place to elaborate on it, but I think it's interesting that all these cutouts are black people. Totally. Yeah. So all, all I can do is look at the thread, but I can't, I don't know what it, where it all goes, but mm-hmm. you have cutouts in his room of people running. Then he's putting metal in his leg and then machine things on both of their feet are making them seemingly run faster. And at the end of the movie, when the fetishist is like present and chasing him, he has a white square on his chest with an X on it, just like the runners have the, the racing piece of paper that has their number on it. Oh, that's all I got. I don't I mean, I, I have some other thoughts about it, but I'm curious if you all had any thoughts to what this running theme is or what, you know, is this part of why he was putting metal in his leg? So I feel like I'm kind of cheating because I've listened to the commentary and I've heard his opinions on it. Not that they're necessarily sure. correct. By the way, the guy, Tom Mess, he does, I think, six of the commentaries in this box set and he wrote a book on Tsukamoto. So I guess he's kind cool. of like an expert on him. But he brings he wrote up a book on it. Yeah. Yeah, if you write a book on it, I mean. (laughs) But he talks about how those pictures of the athletes, they kind of, a lot of this, and it's kind of a recurring theme through his movies, is our bodies being shaped somewhat by the environment and um, our more urban environment having like an effect on our bodies, I guess. And these athletes are supposed to more represent like what an organic body is supposed to really be like without the influence of this kind of modern Mm. uh, constantly being surrounded by technology and uh, concrete and stuff like that. Interesting. So yeah, I'm just thinking like him as a racer. It is interesting when he's in that outfit. That's like when we see him the least amount tainted by metal, I guess, uh, in a more outward physical sense sure yeah so i i don't know i don't know exactly where the strings what what the strings lead to either but those are just some thoughts on it yeah like there's the part where there's the guy that i think they call the tramp who's like the the dude with the pipe and he's yelling and hitting someone with the pipe and there's like a kid screaming i think that's supposed to be the fetishist right the fetishist father or father figure a memory when he was a child 
That's the first thing I wrote down is, is this his dad? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. So that that's where it tied together to me because he's holding the same pipe he puts in his leg. And if I was a child getting hit by that pipe by a dad, I would want to run away. So he's idolizing these runners and then he's using the metal to suddenly be way better at running and he's catching the other guy. I don't know if it just feels like it's tied together. Yeah, I, I don't know. I also think that's like where his metal fetishism comes from is... Right. Uh, him dealing with the childhood yeah. trauma of being beaten with metal. And I was also wondering that flashback to the doctor saying, oh, you have the metal in your brain. I was like, either he put it there himself or maybe it's from being beaten in the head by his father and that's supposed to be an earlier memory. Probably not. It's probably more he put it. That was a doctor? I thought so. The, the doctor, the guy that's like, oh, you have that, you have some metal in your brain? How, how'd you even make it here? That makes sense to me. I just like, for whatever reason, that was the point in this movie where I felt like the, it was the most inexplicable to me of what was happening. <laughs> yeah. Um, every other like thing kind of like tracked with me, but I'm like, who is this mm-hmm. guy? I had no thought that he was a doctor at all. And I also had no thought that it was a flashback. But I will say, now that you said that, the movie is giving us the tools to understand that's a flashback because every mm-hmm. other flash mm-hmm. ends up being a flashback from someone's yeah. perspective. So I totally buy that. And it would make sense if the tramp one was his, if all of the other ones were his flashback, that they would all be the fetishist yeah. flashback. So yeah, I'm with you. I feel like at first, like with the shots of them having sex and stuff, that's him intentionally showing these flashbacks to uh, the salary man. To be like you fucker, this is this is why this shit's happened mm. to you, and um, and I'm you know gonna get revenge on you. But then the more and more, I guess, the salaryman's metal starts taking in stuff, and they start coming in closer. That he has less control over the flashbacks that we see, and it's more just us peeking into his memories. Yeah, totally, and not him intentionally showing those memories. Just like he doesn't necessarily. Uh... Nobody intentionally has a fetish and maybe he's not Mm. intentionally doing any of the stuff he's doing. At least maybe he is, but it's all influenced by other factors, right? Right. Mm -hmm. But yeah, back to the uh, running. Yeah. I mean, what you said makes sense about him running from uh, the memory of being beaten um, and using... Or literally wishing he could have run away from his dad. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. It's interesting that the movie called him the tramp then, though. and, And so that's sort of how I saw him because like... We meet him from like a, a point of view perspective, kind of like walking down like an alleyway or something like that. And we kind of just like pass by him like he's he looks like a stranger. He doesn't look like the camera doesn't treat him like a familiar person when you first see him. And then when we we come back to him, we get more like the guy is yelling at him and beating him with this stick or beating we assume the fetishist yeah my notes said dad question mark and then i was like oh they're kind of treating it like far and i i wrote dad then boss and then i was like random dude question mark just because of how it progressed but i don't know in the commentary i don't i don't think he was sure it was his dad but i think he kind of like said like seems to be like a some kind of father figure or something like that in his past um but yeah he wasn't sure i, I don't believe he was particularly sure himself so yeah i mean it's all up to interpretation but that seems to make logical sense to me in terms of just trying to interpret 
what's going on, I guess. I I also think it doesn't have that much bearing on any of the results that we brought up. Like if you have a traumatic memory of being beaten by a tall an older person, mm-hmm. you're that's going to stick with you and affect you. So it felt like a dad to me at first, but it also, you know, it doesn't like take apart any of the interpretations we had. Right. True. That was the other weird thing going on in that scene is the salary man is is also yelling stop at the same time that like the child's voice is yelling stop it's really where it starts to blur the line between like the subject and object a little bit and they kind of start merge and then they literally merge together eventually but that's like Mm -hmm. the first moment where they're like literally passing he's he's literally passing on this this trauma totally to the salary man which i you know again i would like to figure out what what this what the bigger picture of this is because i don't know i have no idea well i just want to i want to say on that point too like i i said like oh if i had that trauma i'd want to be able to run away too but not only is he running away but he's putting the metal that hit him in his body like the Mm -hmm. the ability for this person to have advantage over him was partially because of this metal tool or implement or whatever and he's like if i become that metal tool I can, you know, have that much power. Like it, it, it kind of feels like it is like a, a rationalization for his fetish or something. And then I was thinking that, and then you were talking about like, that's right before they merge. And it is when they merge is when our main guy, the salary man has the switch from, I don't want to be metal. Uh, I don't want to, to like, hell yeah, I love this, <laughs> but he clearly doesn't. So that's interesting. I don't know. Do y'all do y'all feel good switching a bit and talking about guilt? I feel like that's a huge theme in this movie. Something I'm familiar with. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, good. Uh, that means you're a, a well-functioning human being. Right, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the really interesting things is like looking back on the scenes with uh, the salary man and his girlfriend the almost every dialogue line, which is very few, is so weird. And then you know that they feel guilty for this thing they did and it they all make sense. Like, I've been feeling strange since that day. And then it's like, oh, since we've... I've been feeling a little strange since we buried a body and fucked in front of it. Like, <laughs> no shit. And then also them, like, desperately fucking and being like, don't ever leave me, don't ever leave me, because it's like... You know, they're like transposing this fucking Mm. weird guilt, this experience they had together onto each other to be like, we're meant to be together rather than like trying to acknowledge their guilt. That's how it felt to me. I was wondering when she said, first of all, how weird is that when they're on the phone together and they do that (laughs) mushy mush? Is that that how you pronounce it? I think it's mushy mushy. Mushy mushy. They do that like 10 times. Mushy mushy. Yes. Mushy mushy. (laughs) So weird. Yeah. And then she's like, is something wrong? (laughs) 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 Um, well and real quick i couldn't tell if they were actually saying it over and over or if the salary man was fading off into his memory so hard that mm. he like was stuck in that moment and didn't know i don't know i couldn't tell if that was reality or his experience of reality it's a good point yeah i saw it as reality but you could be very correct uh that yeah it's kind of his dream kind of state kind of taking over things but um when she said that i've been feeling weird since then i was kind of thinking and this could be totally grasping like i wonder if 
um, the metal fetishist is trying to get at either of them, and he's just finding more of a grasp at getting into the uh, salaryman's life than he is into hers. Because then she's not exactly scared of him transforming. She's kind of turned on by it, and it just seems like maybe there's something going on with her, too. So I don't know. That was something that kind of came up in my mind. Totally. Um, and that could be both, right? It mm-hmm. could be that she's not scared by it, and she's feeling weird because he's starting to puppet master her a little. Yeah. Or it could be that she's turned on by it, because she's already the kind of person who was turned on by a dead body. Or it could be that she's turned on by it because they're feeling so much guilt uh-huh. at this horrible thing they've done. They need to look at horrible things and, like, flip them around. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, that's kind of what they did about the dead body, right? You flip, They, like... I don't know what Freud would say about it, but, like, they did some shit where they saw the dead body. They probably felt bad and they, like, channeled that into wanting to fuck. And yeah. maybe that's a continuing theme. Maybe just, yeah, fucking is just a way to kind of uh, ignore the guilt, I guess, as well. And just kind of uh, get feelings out of you. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Never, I don't feel like I've ever felt that guilty. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, that but, response. But I have, you know, like, I have, it's manifested differently. But, like, I do understand yeah. the sort of, like, I just went through this traumatic thing with you and as a result mm-hmm. i love you even more yeah mm-hmm. trauma bonding that you know that's very For sure. real and normal their thing was not real totally. and normal their thing was <laughs> <weird>. <laughs> and then they have they have a point too where like it's like because you can tell she wants to be brave about the gnarly stuff because he's like don't look at me i can't and she's like no i don't get scared easily and then he comes out and she's like like it's like so much it finally got too far you know have fun ending that barto sorry (laughs) maybe maybe this is a a change of course and maybe i'm doing this too abruptly but can I ask how the um, the lady on the train platform fits into any of this? So I feel like somehow the guy who died didn't quite die, but is either alive or in we can talk about what dead or alive means later. But like in some kind of state where he's affecting the world, mm-hmm. he doesn't have complete control over it, but he's in this weird womb machine thing and he's affecting people. And yeah. I almost feel like he wanted to get at the salary man, so he, for some reason, went through the woman sitting next to him on the bench. I mentioned in my in the synopsis that uh, she's used as a conduit for him, and I think that's uh, exactly what it is, is that he's, he's trying to get at these people that killed him, but he's not able to directly do it, but he has a way that he can control metal and kind of jump through metal somehow. Um, and so... When she sees that weird metal glob and touches it, he's able to kind of uh, transfer this metal virus into her and use her as a conduit to attack him. Oh, yeah, because she was sitting there and she was like going down with her mm-hmm. pen like, what is this thing? Yeah. And then so when she, she actually engaged contact. Yeah, when she actually touches it is when all of a sudden he looks over and her hands changed and her face is changing. Ah, uh, is it? 
like kind of being a little kind of a silly billy to to think of this as like a sexually transmitted disease of of some kind or is that like the cyberpunk it follows right i mean that crossed my mind it's 1989 baby that makes a lot of sense yeah just thinking back to our uh Oh my god, what was the Carpenter movie? Darkness, Prince of Darkness. Yeah. Prince of Darkness, yeah. Right. No, dude, I think that's a good read. The thing that sort of falls apart with that and that makes me wonder why he needed her as a conduit is because the site of intrusion to the salary man comes before that when he's shaving. Yeah. I disagree that he needs her as a conduit. I think he's having fun fucking with the dude. I think also maybe um, the shaving is a start, but maybe it's not advancing quick enough for him, and he wants to kind of accelerate things. The commentary mentions him trying to basically trigger more of a reaction out of the salary man because he wants the battle to take over him, and when he's more in defense and escape mode, Maybe his emotions are going to cause the metal to come out more than just the small infection we've seen in the first place when he's shaving. I want to point out that I'm so stoked we're talking about this because, like, yeah, I hadn't even realized the whole, like, mechanism that he was somehow able to get through to the world through metal and that that's Mm -hmm. how he got through the razor and that she touched the glob. Like, that was all... I missed all that. that. That's also another thing when I talk about how his girlfriend says that she's feeling weird and I was thinking, I wonder if he's trying to get that either and then it just happens to be him that um gets to this person that's sitting next to him and can uh put in this whole chase scene. So maybe he didn't have as much of a grasp into her world than that, so maybe that's more why his once again that's complete speculation on my point. Uh my part. Sure. But Barto, I can't remember are you uh did that feel like your question had kind of an answer or is something hang- what's hanging on i don't know i mean every again i'm just trying to tie things together because like totally you know we have this we definitely have this this guilt theme running from it through it and we have this like idea of what the human body was is sort of like what how we're thinking about it like in the in the is the idea of these athletes almost like a like a return kind of thing yeah and we have this our interactions with the industry as such you know which is i sort of saw as like the electric razor was like here's the point of entry for Mm -hmm. the fetishist was like these these little blades going over your face is like only a hop, skip, and a jump, really, from inserting a metal rod into your sure. thigh to get off, which, you know, I guess is talking about our uh, our modern predicament of of being around all. But then, but then the other thing that's like very much present, which the razor is not, is like waste and like debris and like there's so much so much of what we see is is like in in the in the world that is being walked around and it is is stuff that has been discarded and is just left behind 
and we see it even in one of the they only they only do it in a couple of shots but in one of like the running scenes where the fetishist is going to the salary man we have these shots where he's like going past he's running past like bicycles and as he passes them they get all mangled and as he passes like a mailbox or something it gets all fucked up and like he is sort of like creating waste as part of his like raison d'etre you know like uh so with that in mind i don't know what his i don't know what his goal is i don't know what he's i mean he's trying to rust the world i guess but i don't know I don't I I don't know what that has to do with his thing of like I'm turned yeah, on by metal. Yeah. Spoiler alert. I have a few more factors we haven't talked about that together make me feel like there's like some Marxist shit in this movie that I'll I'll get to, but like as a small first part of to responding to what you're saying is that like so you're talking about like, you know, it kind of looks like suggesting a return right to the to the human body as it was before we had all this urbanization. But the interesting thing is at the end, it's the opposite of that, right? right? They've gone even farther into machine, except that the end goal, it's like accelerationism or something. Like the end goal is rusting it all, which would be a return, that's, right? That's true. The athlete's pictures, as soon as he inserts the rod into his leg, the pictures burn up. Yeah. Oh, you're right. That's true. You know, like, you're right. There's, it's very much like the, it the film isn't being like return it's like but the 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 photographs sort of like suggest a like this is what it was you know and like this is not the way it is anymore because we are becoming this sort of like yeah part we are becoming part of this landscape of waste or whatever and i liked what you said charlie about uh the you know that's how the human body might have been before we had all this urbanization or whatever because like the last shots are these just fast shots of the tops of buildings in the city Mm -hmm. and they're kind of not super distinguishable from like the close-ups of all the metal they've been showing you know yeah that just made me think of that but i guess Barta, one of the things i was thinking was that I have the feeling that neither of the two, the protagonist or the antagonist, are doing what they want at all. Things are already kind of decided for them by their environment. Okay. That tracks. That tracks for me completely. He has the power to go through metal, but that means he only has as much power as the the metal environment around him already provides. Right, he doesn't get to decide where this stuff was. He can only use stuff that's already there. I don't know if that makes sense. No, I I think it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that 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 tracks. Like he is. I mean, and it tracks with the whole idea of him developing this fetish as a result of like getting beat with a a right? steel or mm-hmm. you know an iron. He didn't thing. choose that shit. Yeah, he didn't. None of this is him now he's trying to assert himself within it yeah and doing a great job of that but yeah he's very much like well part of the forces around him and two things on that one is that he is killed by a car or killed or whatever happens to him by a car right car is a machine it's made of metal 
obviously the guy who was driving it probably didn't mean to kill him, but our environment kind of requires that we use certain forms of transportation. Mm -hmm. And so that's already kind of another thing that's not necessarily in your control that's like changing these two people's entire lives. I also feel like there's this weird thing happening in the movie where they're trying to show that like maybe the line between living and dead isn't that obvious and maybe machinery can make the dead seem living. Like the girlfriend dies but then comes back because of the machine stuff. The guy died getting hit by the car, but now he's kind of in some state we don't understand affecting things. We see a skull laying in the ground, and then we see machine like tubes and shit or like poles come in and fill it and make it seem like it's screaming, but it's still a dead skull. And so I kind of wonder how much of this actual animation is just the environment and how much is actually like human willpower. Hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. It does. I I don't know. I'm not exactly sure what to add to it though. But I like it. This is a nice thought. I don't know. It's nice. <laughs> I wanna I wanna pass it off to if either of y'all have anything to bring up now. But if you don't, I can go down a little spiral real quick. Yeah, I wasn't sure when she came back when her body came back out of the bathtub and she comes at him with a knife with a knife. Like I didn't think that that was her at that point though. I was thinking exactly. Then how do we know anybody's – like, then how do we know that the guy's him? Right. But, I mean, like, because five seconds later, she was somebody else. Who was she? Her body – so she comes at him with a knife. She gets out of the bathtub. Yeah. And she comes out with a knife. But immediately, she kind of, like, stops, and then her body dissolves, and then it kind of rebuilds itself as, uh, mm. as the fetishist. Sure. Yeah, I guess I just mean that there's multiple – times in the movie where dead mm. things seem alive. Can I can I tack on to that? I think one of the first times that you see anything natural natural, you know, I'll put that in quotes in the film besides the couple fucking in the woods is flowers in the bathtub with her, right? Were those flower petals? I was wondering, I th thought those were flowers. I was going to double check with, I wasn't sure whether or not those were flowers. Okay. I, I thought that, I read them as flowers. And then after, you know, her little, you know, he builds her, like, I it set, felt like a little shrine or a tomb mm -hmm. or something in the bathtub where she was dead. And we see those flowers and then we see the fetishist running with a bouquet. I missed that. Right? Is that correct? He has a bouquet while he's running? You're probably correct. I just, I don't remember that. And then he emerges from her again later with the bouquet. I guess you guys didn't notice this and so don't have thoughts on how how that plays into this at all, that we have this sudden emergence of like something that wasn't, manufactured somewhere both after deaths yes interesting which again yeah i might, hadn't noticed that but that is interesting might lean into this maybe a stretch but into this sort of like accelerationist idea that that we'd sort of talked about that there is right that there is yeah after us there is still beauty left in the world that industry hasn't completely eaten up but it might require death for that to 
to be able to show itself again. I don't know. I'm not sure. But totally. And, and, but and then again, the fetishist brings the salary man flowers before battling him, and then yeah, declaring love. Yeah. Well, um, I was about to tack on. Like I said before, one of the cut scenes is him being kind of more overt, like. I'm attracted to you, uh, more rock, but there is that kind of, I think there is still heavily that feeling where ultimately like, Oh, maybe it isn't as much as a revenge thing as we've brought up to feel, but he actually does feel a romantic connection to the salary man in some way, maybe even because he's been in some way heavily abused by him. Um, and that, uh, connects him somehow. He hit him with a car, you know, like that, yeah. maybe that is like, yeah like well and also he's a metal fetishist right, and yeah. this dude's now made of so, fucking metal right. <laughs> so maybe that's why one of the reasons why he's ultimately attracted to him and he wants he wants to do his world dominating scheme and connect um physically to be one being with this specific per- person so let's bring him flowers yeah. at least in my subs you know so i'm watching them like merge with one another and i have this like would this look seem very gay in 1989 because like it feels very gay and the like dragon ball z like screamo look he has he looked like do you guys do y'all watch venture brothers i haven't it's been a long time Uh, there's this character in venture brothers who's like running around dr venture's sewer who i actually think might be directly based on the iron man but very similar like makeup and stuff like that but okay um whatever the case and then after they merge you know he says our love can destroy the universe and yep i'm like oh yeah this is kind of gay cool you know like (laughs) but also not sure what that's saying you know at all because it feels a little tacked on well like i said he there's cut footage, so maybe it wouldn't feel as as tacked on yeah. with that other footage. I, I mean, to me, a ton of this movie is about, feels like about the spread of machines through our society. And like, I'm very cynical about the spread of machines through our society, which I think this movie is too. And so like, it didn't, it felt, I didn't even think of it as the gay thing, which makes total sense. But like, you know, they're trying to have sex before and his... And it's, like, all wrong. Like, his dick turns into a giant drill. And then, like, she dies. But then he's, like, still kind of trying to fuck her by, like, he has this, like, tube coming out of his mouth that, like, he pulls it out. And it's, like, he's still doing the, like, insertion thing with the dead body with the metal. Like, everything is just kind of flipped. So, to me, it was, like... So even the, the only time they can consummate the act is in his dream when she pegs him or when he's knocked out and presumably dead and she can do what uh she can fuck herself to death on his drill dick tiny so the, tiny the, drill dick the machines are stripping us of our ability to do these natural acts that are generally thought of as positive and pleasurable and life affirming and now we're doing these like facsimiles of these acts terribly and they're harmful and then he's like, yeah, like you talked about waste before Barto and it's like suck on my sewer pipe or some shit yes. like that like he's yeah, and so to me, the, like, our love can conquer the world, I'm like, yeah, at this point, y'all, of course, you think 
fucking is death and love is whatever you're doing with the machine. Like, it's like, you know, everything's getting uh, spoiled and turned on its head. like Perverted. Uh, which is probably a statement about our society and how everything that we love is spoiled and turned on its head and love is now death. And you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So the film is not trying to suggest that their love, which is going to destroy the world. Well, I guess I don't know then, because uh, uh, so are we supposed to take it as beautiful what they're uh, uh, trying to do? I do not think so no. at all, but I don't know. But that I mean, I have a very I have a reading of this movie that makes me not think that. Um, do you all mind if I jump into a thing? Please. So the first time I watched this, I was thinking that there seemed to be a class thing going on. The first guy sitting on the floor, you know, we see him walking through a factory. He's hit by the guy in the suit in a nice car. Yeah, right? that's brought up in the commentary that he's this blue collar factory worker. Yeah. So there's a class thing going on and the guy's called the salary man for a reason. As soon as I saw mm -hmm. that, I was like, okay, I'm not throwing that in myself. They, they're doing that on purpose. Yeah. Right? But even then, they're living in a small apartment. Um I but assume still. that's just because they had to film in the dude's apartment. I assume maybe that that's too. being stupid. I I worked under that because idea. As a side trivia trivia note, so her she lived in this small apartment, and uh, her building is going to be torn down. So there are like lots of empty apartments. So they spent like two years filming this in the previous movie, like in all these empty apartments and stuff. Um, Whoa! And they all kind of like lived in her apartment together and they all ended up hating each other and abandoning it. Except for the main actor in this who didn't live with them. He's the only one that didn't. And the only one who continued working with Tsukamoto uh, for a long time. And he attributes it because he didn't live there. And that's why at the end, you never see them in two shots together because there was only two of them, and one of them had to hold the camera. Uh, Damn, when they're going That's through like, their fight. So yeah, I I assumed the size of that apartment was limited by their budget and stuff, because mm -hmm. clearly the suit and the name and the car, like they they tried to even the jazzy music with the car was almost trying to make it. It was also trying to be like weird, sexual about the death, but whatever. Um, so to me, that at the fact that there's this clear class antagonism adds to my guttural like marxist reading of this when i first watched it and had no idea what the plot was because i just have some of marx's shit in my head so like in capital marx talks about machines and how like machines are created by people to help us but we end up being subservient to them they end up replacing us in our, like, instead of it being like, oh, a machine's here to make your job easier, you no longer have a job where your job revolves around the needs of the machine. You have to start, instead of you having your own rhythm, you're following the rhythm of a machine. And it's like this whole thing. And he also uses that, he talks about how that's a good metaphor for how capitalism works that we used it to try to help us and now we're all subservient to it it's gone it has its own thing it's going out of control on its own we can't we don't get our desires our desires like are chosen by capital so for me obviously biased i was kind of reading this movie that way that like the machines are actually kind of in control and there's not much these people can do about it. The fact that the guy, the salary man, 
I mean, they're just like, they're growing and becoming more and more and more machine and he fucking hates it and wants to resist. But then at the end, he's like, ah, I feel great. But he's like <laughs> frowning and he's like, ah, and it's like, they're like, we can do this together. Like, yeah, let's do it. Like this thing that he's been resisting this whole time. Now he's like, let's spread it some more. Just like all the fucking capitalists whose lives fucking suck and they just can't stop spreading. Because there's, what are you going to do? You just have to give in. That's it's, kind of the way I read this. It's the metal mind virus. There you go. The woke metal mind virus. Can I read y'all two quotes that like made me think of this, of this movie? Is that okay? Mm-hmm. Okay. So these are the ones that came to mind. When I watched it, this is from Capital Volume 1 by Karl Marx. One of them's a little longer than this one. Let's see. Thus, although from a technical point of view, the old system of division of labor is thrown overboard by machinery, it hangs on in the factory as a tradition handed down from manufacture and is then systemically reproduced and fixed in a more hideous form by capital as a means of, expo of exploiting labor power. The lifelong speciality of handling the same tool now becomes the lifelong speciality of serving the same machine. Machinery is misused in order to, to transform the worker from his very childhood into a part of a specialized machine. In handicrafts and manufacture, the worker makes use of a tool. In the factory, the machine makes use of him. There the movements of the instrument of labor proceed from him. Here, it is the movements of the machine that he must follow. In manufacture, the workers are parts of a living mechanism. In the factory, we have a lifeless mechanism, which is independent of the workers, who are incorporated into it as its living appendages. Do y'all see what I'm saying a little bit with that? Yeah, just like, yeah. almost like two on the nose. Now this, now this movie <laughs> feels corny. <laughs> <laughs> I really wonder what Tsukamoto's politics are. Um, I mean, even going, watching this and being like, I don't really know. Uh, that was really my reaction was like, I don't know. But sure. it did mm -hmm. feel leftist. It felt like this was right? mm -hmm. this was definitely like a critique of of industrialization as such. You know, it didn't. It would be weird to me if this guy was. I mean, he maybe didn't read Capital. He, he did, I mean, he it, starred in Shin Godzilla. He did. He's a actor in Shin Godzilla, oh, not the star. Oh, I didn't know he, that. I've told you that. Very cool. Oh yeah, I remember you told us in a tech. I forgot. <laughs> yeah. Um. He he's a. Uh, not only does he act in most of his own movies, but he's also he's been in like a few of Takashi Miike's movies, like Ichi the Killer. He was in the the Silence by Scorsese. Um. He's he's like a. An established actor in his own right, but um. Anyways, sorry. Oh, uh, you're good. Yes, so, you're you're right. I do think I do get the idea that he's more left leaning. Um, even watching his other movies, but I'm not as politically astute as you guys. I mean, it, it feels like the horror of technology happening mm -hmm. in this movie, and there's also class antagonism. So it kind of yes. It just, you know, it feels like that. Um, let me let me read one more. So that was from pages 527 and 528 of uh, the Penguin edition of Capital. The chapter is Machinery and Large-Scale Industry. This is from that same chapter, page 503. Think about the ending of the movie and them, you know, combined together and trying to spread over the earth. 
an organized system of machines to which motion is communicated by the transmitting mechanism from an automatic center is the most developed form of production by machinery. Here we have, in place of the isolated machine, a mechanical monster whose body fills whole factories and whose demonic power, at first hidden by the slow and measured motions of its gigantic members, finally burst forth in the fast and feverish whirl of its countless working organs. Damn. I mean, with those shots of it, like, you know, them speeding through in the stop motion and trying to spread Mm -hmm. over the earth, I, like, just grabbed the book and flipped to this part right away. I was like, I know this! I've read this before! (laughs) See, uh, that's a lot smarter. I was thinking of, um, I just watched Akira... (laughs) uh the other week yeah and um the the guy's right. name is tatsuo and he gets his powers grow out of control and he starts combining with all the concrete and uh mechanical stuff around him as he grows into the giant blob um so totally. I, uh mine was cooler but <laughs> yours was smarter so way to go nerd College yeah boy. I, I so in my mind there's a lot in this movie that's they don't you know we see shots of factories that every time we see shots of factories work is happening sparks mm-hmm. are flying things are moving but there's no humans at all it's very strange yeah. and it gives me this idea of like yeah the you know we are just if capital had its way we would just become part of the factories because they still yes. need a way to get our surplus labor and exploit it or they can't make money but they want us to just be machines yes what did y'all think of that um that final form they were in. I mean, it did um, remind me of Akira a whole lot, you know? <laughs> yeah. And Akira came out the year before this. So, Oh, really? Weird. I was watching like interviews with him in the commentary and stuff like that. And they talk about influences. And um, so he himself said, you know, the paternal influences would probably video drum and blade runner. And then there's obvious other ones. Like there's other Cronenberg movies. Um, the fly is obviously uh, when he's shaving. That's a direct shot from the fly. Oh. Um, and then there's David Lynch is a big obvious influence uh, in Eraserhead. And then uh, Sven Jankmajer, the I think he's a Czech animator who did like the stop motion Alice and stuff like that. But lots of great surreal influences uh, like that. But yeah, they didn't mention Akira, which I thought. Seemed obvious, but I mean, maybe not. if it came out the, the year movie? before, and he'd been working on this for like a couple of years, right? Like it? No, I think he made this like within a. I think he. I think this only took him a year to make. Oh. Although he had made um, a Phantom of regular size, which is like an eighteen-minute prototype, a couple of years before. So I don't know. Was it the movie or was it the manga that came out a year before? No, it's the movie. So then the manga he could have been influenced by. Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. Thinking of them as a ball of capital, just like accumulating. Yeah. Uh, Fighting for their own exploitation. Right. And and um, I mean, the whole the whole bit of like, I want to rust the world is like mm-hmm. bizarre to me, like. particularly like in this you know from the fetishist point of view like i don't really know um 
what again i don't know what his goal is except to like well doesn't doesn't he talk shit on rust right he's like talking about how stainless steel is better than rust yeah so he talks about how his his first uh insert into himself was a rusty metal and so his cells started replicating that and replicating the rust which is why he's flawed but um the salary man's first insert was from a stainless steel sh- uh shaver so he's uh naturally better and more powerful so he knows that even though he's grabbing onto the better technology it's going to rust eventually what class of people do yeah, we know <laughs> if they keep going the same way they're going is eventually going to kill them and everybody else and they don't give a fuck yeah yeah this is right yeah this is i mean it, it's too perfect it, it is like it it is like uh it feels like he did a hostile takeover like he he was a a well established flawed company that saw something shinier and was like i'm going to gobble this up you know this is <laughs> like this is disney you know in who who was really falling apart there for a few years and being like you know what's good all these other companies that are doing really, really well, and we're gonna totally. This is also Exxon Mobil knowing, having the data earlier than a lot of other people about how what they're doing is going to kill them and their family or their ancestors, but yeah. still trying to go as fast as they can to grow as fast as they can and pretending that they love it away from the from the capitalist uh, uh, Marxist metaphors. It also makes me think of the Freudian uh, back to the kind of more Freudian. Uh, analyzation just uh him being abused by metal when he was a child and him wanting to take it out of the world and make everyone else be abused by metal yeah also in the sequel there's like a group of people intentionally trying to make humans into metal weapons and they have an injection of that will make them rust it like rust their cells whoa which is kind of cool yeah uh we can mutate the whole world into metal. We can rust the world into the dust of the universe. Our love can destroy the entire world is such a fucking mind fuck, but it it feels right. And it like the ending form that they're in, like Bracken pointed out, we're watching it it's like, where does that Uzi come from? Right? Like they're getting factory parts and then they have like a fucking gun, but yeah. it's perfect. It's like this gun up victory pose but he can't take his arm down. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like victory and no freedom. You know, it's a trip. Also, I feel like that maybe that's interesting. Um, How, even though they're combined as one, they both seem to have different roles within the body where him on top seems to be more, I guess, in charge as well as uh, more of the weapon. While the salary man seems to be more of the uh, mobility and more taking orders i guess i don't know there's something there i mean when you just said that it reminded me of lenin like we flip the class situation Mm -hmm. upside down and everything will be better right Mm -hmm. suddenly we have the the poor guy on the blue collar worker on top the asshole of the body or whatever he is 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 the salary man and everything will be fine right (laughs) that's a trip but yeah i don't know i don't know what it's actually the other thing that uzi made me think of particularly in light of this conversation is like the inevitable 
outgrowth of like capital accumulation. You yes. Know, it is. We've started growing crops in excess and, you know, we need someone to protect it from the guys who are, you know, it is, it is that extension of like, of capital growth and yeah, there needs to, why wouldn't we have totally? I mean, Disney for every Marvel movie they make is working with the United States military. Uh, Exxon mobile is causing wars and fighting wars. It, It all checks out. Yeah. Uh, which by the way, Disney, Make a movie about the real Iron Man. Come on. <laughs> I really hope Disney acquired buys this uh, uh, the rights to this from Tsukamoto. When I suggested this, I did think it was just an Iron Man movie, and I've just been a good sport about the situation <laughs> that I found myself in. You said in our text that you were going to make a bunch of Iron Man jokes, and you haven't really made them. I, instead, I just made them for like a week and a half in the house and everyone hates me so (laughs) (laughs) well y'all i feel like i got a lot more of this movie out of this discussion than i had when i first sat down here tonight this has been awesome oh i I do want to say one thing I, i feel like we actually haven't talked about how amazing the practical effects are in this considering how amazing they are yeah it's fucking rules it's so good. It looks, I, I said this already, but I just want to emphasize how tedious of a process yes. it looks like yeah. it had to have been to accomplish All this. the stop motion that like, it looks, you know, shaky and not perfect, that which in a way that makes it perfect. Yeah. For the movie. I was so surprised that he only spent like a year on this movie. And I think he did like a lot of that animation and stuff himself. Like that seems like it would take a lot longer. <laughs> I can totally get why if you're living with a guy who's like, because you have to be, you have to be like doing this yeah. constantly. You have to be moving constantly to like be, to achieve yes. this film, you know, especially if you're working with a small crew. It, I'm sure he was awful mm-hmm. to spend any time oh, with yeah. at all. I, you, cause you'd be losing your mind. I also love that it was like, there was so much cool stuff and it wasn't just one type of cool thing it was like you know the 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 practical like just like effects and like makeup and like shit on their bodies and costumes and everything was fucking awesome but also the stop motion stuff was awesome but also like then the shots in between like the, yeah. the nature the sky shots were fucking awesome but there it, for it being it i feel like a lot of less expensive more diy movies kind of were like, oh, we're going to do this gimmick, and they focus on that. But this movie had so many great touches, too, like the detail. Like, the way that the machinery looked so haphazard, it almost looked like it was growing. Or the way that, like, the machinery in the beginning is covered in condensation, and then, like, as people become machines, you see the condensation and the sweat on them. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just so, so much love went into it. It's amazing. With that sweat... He also mentions that they were making this uh, at the end of summer, September, so it was really hot in uh, Japan. He's talking about how Japan gets very uncomfortable in the summer, especially you're wearing a suit, going to work on the subway full of people, and uh, it's very discomforting. I feel like he really kind of um, conveys the discomfort of of that through the movie very well. Totally. But yeah, it's it's crazy because his career really does not... I mean, there's a few movies, but it's not very special effects 
heavy like you would think it would be from this film. Because this is just, it's amazing what he does in this movie. But he really goes more in the kind of psychological direction more than the special effects direction. As long as we're talking about just like general Mm -hmm. things that are like nice about this movie. The guy, I'm sorry I didn't look up his name, but the guy who plays the salary man, like particularly in the first like third of the movie before he gets completely (laughs) overtaken, is so good. He's awesome. That his sort of his look of horror that's like really who kind of looks like Hank Hill like being <laughs> like oh you know like he's doing that the whole time and it's it never once got old to me to like watch him reacting to things around him it was spectacular Hell yeah and very Lynchian like you could it looks like a yeah. Lynch guy I guess he was in a punk band. And it was a very kind of like performative, expressive punk band. He was the singer. Uh, so he had practice through that. And like I said, he was part of the uh, uh, Sukumoto's uh, theater troupe that he had established before making movies. Hell yeah. I'm 1000% going to find this. Yeah. Punk I, band yeah. And hopefully put a song of it. Yes. In this somewhere. <laughs> That'd be that cool. Is- Also, the guy who did the music for this. So I played the first like minute of the prototype of this movie, Phantom of a Regular Size. And it's interesting because right away he starts off with a um, Public Image Limited song from their third album, Flowers of Romance, which is a super percussive album uh, with Johnny just like wailing over it. So this movie, I guess when he got the, the soundtrack, he someone had passed him a tape of this industrial industrial this japanese industrial band with a german name uh so obviously influenced by german industrial at the time and he loved it so he approached the the guy behind it was like can you do a soundtrack for a movie the guy's like i've never done a soundtrack before but sure and he tasked him with making a soundtrack completely with just metal making all the movies from metal and the guy tried the guy tried to do it and he's like it sounds like shit i can't do it yeah (laughs) maybe he just means it sounds like it was completely made from metal. So he made a soundtrack that sounds like it was just made from metal. Um, Dude, but this I, soundtrack <laughs> is so good. It's so, so awesome. I love it, it so much. This movie made me understand why industrial is good. Like, I was just <laughs> like, oh, shit. Like, it's because it sounds industrial. It's like dark on purpose like this movie. Like, hopeless mm. and beautiful. Yeah, it's so percussive yeah. and... Along with the editing and the the black and white photography, it's just it gels so perfectly together. Uh, it's it's just perfect. It, I mean, at some level, like there were parts of this where I was like, "Oh, if we just because there's very little dialogue in the mm-hmm. beginning at all. Like there's that's like you know most of the first half, three quarters of the movie, they mm-hmm. hardly talk. And I like started vibing with it as like a incredibly impressive music video and and that was like a fun way to like yeah go about it um the commentator says that you should try watching it at least once without any audio on and i was thinking well no i i could do it without dialogue but i want to hear the fucking music yeah i i saw that the first festival it played at what was uh in america i think 
he could not afford to subtitle the movie. And so it just played in Japanese, but it won best in show at Hell this yeah. festival, so cool. despite no one knowing what any of the dialogue was. Yeah, all eight lines of dialogue <laughs> were gone. <laughs> I mean, eventually it gets chattier. No, you're you know, right. Like once once after the pegging scene, it gets a little chattier than the first totally it's so wild that this movie has so much going on for such a short Mm -hmm. movie that we went this long without talking about like the effects or the music which are the standout parts of the movie like yeah yeah yeah. what a fucking movie before we get into awards i don't think we mentioned this line but uh the fetishist hits the sour man over the head with a tv and then he says he starts showing the memories and stuff and he says like soon your brain will turn into metal let me show you something wonderful, a new world. I feel like that plays a lot into some of the things we're talking about, but I don't think we brought up that line specifically. I, mine said a, a new world of metal. Okay. I maybe I, it's possible I copied the quote down wrong. I don't think I did, but maybe. I think they meant heavy metal. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> but um, just talking about the more and more uh, technology around us and how our environment gets into us, you know, saying even your brain will turn into metal and putting a TV over his head. Maybe it's too yes. on nose, but obviously yeah. the way we're so connected to screens these days makes me think of that. Totally. And what's the, uh, at one point, Barto, you were like, are we supposed to think this is like a good thing mm-hmm. or not? But there, don't forget the last title just says game over. Did it? Uh, which, it did. I thought it said New World. No, no. Past that, oh, okay. after like the credits, it says oh. Game Over and it turns off. Oh, I did not watch that far. Okay. Yeah, what well, you would see in a screen, you know, when you lost. <laughs> we all right. lost. Cool. That's sick. One thing I forgot to mention just about the Marx reading is I was talking about how like, you know, the machines were kind of animating corpses a little bit or like, you know, the guy got hit by a car, he died, then he was a machine. We don't know the difference. And uh, I just want to point out that Marx generally refers to the means of production, especially machines, as dead labor. Ooh, yes. Like, they are dead labor. So this is a dead laborer who is a machine. It's kind of interesting. Yes, it is. Yeah. It. I mean, the more examples you give, the more it feels like, yeah, this guy just took, took some visceral parts from Capital and was <laughs> like, yeah, we're going to turn it into a movie. I, I told you all already, but... There's a lot of monsters in Capital Volume 1, way more than you would think for it being an economic book. (laughs) I mean, there's vampires, there's ghosts, there's cyclops, there's werewolves. There's like so much shit that uh, I'm sure he's going to come up in some more monster movies. I think he had a big influence on the genre. You're lying and you're just trying to trick me into reading theory. No one should read theory. I just enjoy it. Should we do some awards, y'all? Hell yeah. These are tough this time. Yeah. Dumb cop of the week. I'll go first. I took an easy out and I gave it to the fe- fetishist because he says stop resisting. <laughs> oh. I was going to give it to the fetishist just because of the whole vibe. Your answer is much better. <laughs> like, the, like, uh, it's not dumb, though. No one's like dumb. He's actually pretty clever. <laughs> That's why Dumb Cop of the Week has two modes, right? It's either the dumbest cop or the most cop-like non-cop. Yeah. I gave it to uh, the the tramp because uh, cops have a higher likelihood of being domestic abusers. That is a good answer. Yep. It's a sad answer, but... Hey, it's a sad world. 
Praxis Award. I'm I did not have a Praxis Award. Just say I don't have one. <laughs> I was going to say the girlfriend for being so brave and being like, nothing yes. scares me. And, you know, maybe she was Ooh. just being horny. It's hard to tell. But, like, I, <laughs> I initially at least yeah, read it I as mean, very brave. That That's a good point. You're going through something horrible that's, uh, you know, it's not just internal, but it's external. And a lot of people are are just going to be, you know, uh, automatically just terrified of it. And she wants to be supportive. I mean, like, hey, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. That's, that is good practice. You're right. That's good relationship practice. Yeah. And can horniness be praxis? Let us know. Nogodspod at gmail.com. I live my life in the hope that it can be. (laughs) Uh, Also a... uh, a cop out but favorite shots i just it was kind of like mandy where i was like there are so many amazing shots i have no idea what to pick you know there was this moment where just after he said soon even your brain will be turned to metal there's this shot it gets really like i don't really know what i'm looking at in any of it but it (laughs) it looks like a mycelium network of metal yes yes with weird orbs, like balls yeah. of stuff. A what yeah. network? Like, you know, like the mushroom network that's underground and talks to roots okay. and shit. Yeah, it, I, I thought that that was like supposed to be, this is what the landscape's going to be like in the future. After this is the new world of metal, yeah. It sort of felt yeah. that way to me. And it, I thought, like, this is such a cool, heady way of yeah. representing mm-hmm. that world as like, networks of you know again and lays plays into like a a sort of like neoliberal idea of capitalism like it's just going out into the world and like touching everything it's underground it's it's ever present yeah you know it was cool shot fuck yeah i i do gotta say there's some shots that i might even like more but the the sequences where they're doing the stop motion sliding through the streets Mm -hmm. are so incredibly cool and they jump out because the you know you're sitting in a dark room so much in this movie and then suddenly you're Mm -hmm. flying through the streets that i i gotta give them a little bit of a nod yeah also just piggybacking on that this is an independent completely independent made movie they're just going through the street doing this long tedious process Hats off to them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. There's a lot of uh, fucking uh, Wayne's World car. Yeah. Okay, game um, on. <laughs> the commentary rings up, you know, they probably didn't have any clearance to shoot in the subway, but yeah. they did that whole, all that, those sequences in the subway with the chase and everything. So many cool shots. I put an asterisk next to like seven or so, but I guess I'll choose... The wife dead in the bath with the flowers around her. That was a beautiful shot. Also, the skull animation we brought up before. Yeah. Hell yeah. And the shot when she's fucking herself to death on his dick. It's just a close-up of her face. And without changing expression, his blood starts splattering behind on the wall behind her. And it's a gnarly, it's a really cool shot. I meant to only choose one, sorry. No, you're fine. Some dark choices. It's a dark movie. Uh, Okay, rating. Um, I guess I'm going to give it... 
I'm going to give this movie a love that could destroy the whole world. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. It deserves it. I'm not going to give this movie a love that can destroy the whole world, but I'm going to give it a uh, peanut popper that can destroy like 95% of the world. Like the the final form of them together, but instead of an Uzi, they're holding a peanut popper up? Yeah, it's uh, the way um, in Videodrome and in this... But it's inspired by Videodrome. His hand warps into a gun, and it warps into a peanut popper. Hell yeah. <laughs> Barto, what are you rating this? I'm going to rate this, even my brain will be turned to metal. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> I just want to say, yeah, people, this is a great director. He has tons of movies, and I... I've never seen it, but as far as I know, the third Tetsuo is considered the only really bad movie in his repertoire. And I, all the movies I've seen of his, which is most of them, I think are all good to great. And I highly recommend that people that people should check him out. And you will see more from him from us, hopefully, in the future. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening. We're glad you're here with us. Uh, You can rate us on Apple Podcasts. If you like the show, give us a bunch of stars. It really helps more people see the show. Uh, You can find us on Twitter at NoGodsPod. You can find us on TikTok is what it's called at NoGodsPod. And you can email us NoGodsPod at gmail.com. And if you want to support the show, uh, just want to say support Defend the Atlanta Forest or Stop Cop City. There'll be uh, links in the episode notes to check that out. If you haven't heard, uh, a forest defender named Tor- uh, Tortuguita in Atlanta was murdered by the police, and they, as people trying to stop a fucking huge training ground for police that's destroying a forest and so much more to to like build it, uh, just give them money or go out there and help them yourself if you can. I had no idea what Cop City was. I mean, I've seen people talking about that in relation to this, but I have not. It's literally know what Cop City is. building a fake city so that the cops in Atlanta and all around the country can go there and learn how to control our cities. Like they're building a fake one so they can do exercises. And it's plus it's a bunch of other shit. It's not just the Cop City that'll be built there. A bunch of bad shit. But the resistance to it has been going for, like, over a year. It's been incredible. Two years. Uh, really fucking impressive. Like, everything you can think of has been happening from, like, nonviolent direct action to sabotage to, like, everything else. Like, it's just a, a sick fucking community. And murdered in cold blood uh, was this person who seems like just, like, a fucking shining light of a human being. So... They uh, they need your support more now than ever. So check it out. Yeah, I, I saw somebody quote uh, quote them on Twitter shortly before they were murdered. Um, they said something along the lines of there was an interview where they were asked if they're afraid. And they said, of course, you know, part of them is somewhat afraid. They, they're not a, they're a person of color who is protesting the police and that automatically puts them at risk uh but fear is the mind killer as they say in dune so they wouldn't let fear stop them from getting involved in a righteous protest 